Thanks for taking time out of your day to join us here on The Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website, and you can follow me at Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Coming up later this hour, food. I want to tell you that 2018 is going to be the best year for your food budget, perhaps ever in recorded American history. I'll tell you the factors leading to that and how you're going to be able to most take advantage of that with your grocery and food dollar. I want to talk about the problem that first-time homebuyers are facing in the marketplace. And I read a CNBC report about how the housing market has divided into basically three quadrants. That you've got the lower-priced and entry-level homes, mid-price homes, and high-end homes. The high-end market, in spite of the fact that rich people have most of their wealth from stock market gains, and the stock market has been hitting records day after day after day, that the rich people market for housing is overbuilt. You know, developers look at the cost of land and they're like, well, you know, if I had to pay that much for the land, I can probably turn a much bigger profit building a giant house on that than building more affordable houses on that property. And there's been such a tilt like that around the country that the supply at the high end is very high and thus the appreciation and values at the high end in most of the country is from not keeping up with inflation to pretty much right at inflation in most markets in the country. There are a few where the high end is continuing to escalate, but generally not so much. The low end, on the other hand, the entry-level houses, the more affordable houses in the country, builders aren't keen to build those. So the normal inventory that would be coming in in new homes in much of the country isn't really there. Plus, during the real estate bust and the massive wave of foreclosures caused by the banking scandals, you have a lot of real estate tied up either in the hands of individual investors that are renting out those properties or big Wall Street crowd kind of funders that have bought up huge inventories of entry-level single-family homes that they are treating as rentals. And so it's reduced the stock of homes available for first-time home buyers two different ways. Obviously, one, because of the builders not concentrating on that segment of the market. And then second, in an unexpected way, all of the investor homes. So that's why people trying to buy their own first home are really being squeezed. On the other hand, if you are in your first home or it is a lower price point home, you have the best opportunity you've had in forever if your family situation is such that you are considering trading up, the trade-up market to mid-price or high-end homes 
is extraordinarily favorable to you right now because of the inventory shortage of entry-level homes and lower-priced homes, you will get, uh, in most neighborhoods in the United States, there are always exceptions, you'll get top dollar for that, and you'll have the money that'll go towards a home whose values have not escalated in the same way and will therefore allow you to make a move up market at a more efficient price point difference than would normally be true. Other thing for you I wanted to mention is that there's a survey I read about that dovetails with something that has been a frustration of mine for years, and that is first-time home buyers go to one lender and one lender only for a quote on a mortgage for the home you're buying without a clear understanding that mortgage rates, terms, and conditions vary mightily from lender to lender. And first-time homebuyers tend primarily to go to their existing bank and go to them and talk to them about a mortgage. Well, generally, and especially for the larger banks, you're going to pay more for the mortgage, and they're not as customer service-oriented. Or people might get a referral to a mortgage broker or banker from the real estate agent. You want to do more shopping. You want to talk to more lenders. And you want to get more quotes and learn more about the process and not pay too much, either in costs or in rate, because you didn't shop. Todd is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Todd. Hey, Clark. How are you doing, Todd? Uh, not too bad. And yourself? Great, thank you. Todd, you got a new child? Oh uh, yeah, he's eight month old, so pretty, still pretty new. Got the new child smell and everything. <laughs> What's your child's name? Nathan. And has Nathan proving himself to be already a genius at eight months? Well, we like to think so. We're, we're thinking road scholar. <laughs> road scholar, there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard me say this, Todd. I actually had an uncle, he's now deceased, who was absolutely a uh, turbo genius and was reading before his second birthday and went to college, went to high school at eight years old and went to college at 10. Oh, my. Yeah. He was running a factory in a foreign country when he was 15. Oh, wow. Unfortunately, I didn't get any of that candle power. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not quite that smart either. <laughs> but maybe maybe Nathan is, huh? I hope so. All right. What are you thinking about for Nathan? Uh, well, just in case he, he's not a scholarship for everything, we're thinking about opening a, a 529 plan. And, and we live in Florida, so I'm looking at your, your dean's list of planned well you do have the choice in florida if you want to brainwash nathan for the next 18 years that uh, he's got to know uh the florida fight song or fsu fight song fight song or any ucf anything if you can uh con your kid that the only place to go to is a state school in florida you could consider the florida prepaid plan but if yeah, you 
Go ahead. Hundred percent sure that he's going to stay here. In, all right, then th- then that's the answer, and that's why what you were doing already is the right thing. Well, I, I guess my my question is, as I know, um, some of your uh, uh, favorite brokerage houses have the five twenty nine plan too. All right, is that any better or the same as some of your dean's list plans? No, that's they? not as good. Okay. I mean, you want to go with what's known as a direct sold plan, and if you look at my since you are a free agent being a Floridian and you can go in any of the plans, stick to one of the eight on my dean's list with high honors. Okay. And if I were to tell you uh, all eight of these are my favorite children, but my number one favorite child is the Utah plan available to non-Utah residents, which I have a direct link to because it is incredibly low cost, commission free, and the money you put in will be working for Nathan very efficiently over the next 18 years. Okay, good to know. Thank you. All right, so one alternative I'll mention to you, are you a great saver for retirement? Yes. Okay. I think so. Because fully funding a Roth IRA actually is a higher priority than putting money in Nathan's 529 plan. Yeah, we're, we're both doing that. We both are maxing the Roth, and I'm um, going up to the match at our company for the 403 because I'm at a nonprofit company. Okay, so then doing the Utah 529 plan would be perfect, but with the Utah plan only go in the Vanguard age-based portfolios. So you oh. just pick what you do for Nathan is you pick the... Uh, the year likeliest for him to enter school or it will be based on his age depending on how each age-based portfolio works in each plan okay and the beauty of the 529 plans is they earn tax-free they're spent tax-free for eligible college expenses and this doesn't apply to you in florida but in uh, states with state income taxes and many of them if you put money in a 529 plan you get the additional advantage of getting a state tax deduction for putting money in, and then you get the tax-free growth in spending down the road, which is a massive incentive to pre-fund as much as you can of a kid's college. And Todd, you can put in very little money each pay period, very little each month, to putting in big lump sums, whatever works best for you. Terry is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Terry. Good afternoon, Clark. Great to talk to you today. Well, great to have you here. What's going on? Oh, okay. Uh, Just my daughter is in 10th grade, and she came home from school yesterday, and she was excited talking to my wife about a secret Santa program that she was going to do at school. I was in the other room on the computer, and when my wife mentioned pyramid scheme or Ponzi scheme, being a Clarkophile, my ears pricked up, and I came into the kitchen. (laughs) uh, My daughter explained to me, and so I had her actually send it to me, what was going on in her class at school. Would you like me to read it to you? Sure, please. Okay, welcome to our secret sister gift exchange. No, not that again. (laughs) Yes, but now they're targeting 15-year-olds. Man, Uh, okay, I've been through this entire Christmas shopping season without a single person mentioning... (laughs) The secret sister scam. 
Yeah, I'm just lucky, I guess. Eh? So the way it works, it's like an electronic modern version spreading on social media of the old chain letter where you send money to somebody who's supposedly on a list and then they send money to somebody on a list on and on and on. And before you know it, gifts are raining down on you, both cash and things. (laughs) You've heard of it before then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's nothing that any of the social media sites are doing wrong. This is not their fault that this thing, uh, gosh, I thought it had gone extinct, that this secret sister thing is back again on social media this Christmas season, but it is totally bogus. And your daughter, I'm so glad she asked about, was she asking or was she telling? She was telling my wife, and when I overheard it, I said, I'd like to run this by Clark, and she's very familiar with you, and she says, okay. All right, so that's great. So she's not not uh, going to learn in the school of hard knocks. She's going to learn in Clark School, Clark Howard University. That's a great place to learn before you have somebody get into your wallet. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at clark.com. Producer Joel asks it. Yeah, Clark Richard wants to know, how do I invest in Bitcoin, and who or what company would be best to use? Okay. Uh, Gosh, I don't know how much I want to get into this, because I believe, it's my belief that Bitcoin is a bubble of historical proportions. Doesn't mean that it can't go continue to go crazy high. The gyrations in it day by day have become extreme. And I'd rather not be a gateway to helping you get in to speculating in Bitcoin. Bitcoin, if you're not aware, is what's known as a cryptocurrency. It's an electronic form of money that is not backed by any government and has shown no stability at all. And Bitcoin and its competitors have become all the rage because they become part of a speculative fever. Real money does not escalate in value or decline in value by massive percentage points each day. So know that if you do find your way to buying Bitcoin, understand that any money you put into it is money you put at risk that you could lose much or most, maybe not all of it, but maybe. All right. Nancy wrote in, she says, on your recommendation, we bought a Chromebook to use only for banking. Can we use it for our retirement accounts and our social security accounts as well? I know you said not to do it for social media, but I was wondering if we could do those sorts of financial websites in addition to banking. There is no exact hard rule that I've stated or anyone else has stated specifically on what functions would be acceptable on a financial-only computer. I can tell you what you don't do. You never do email. You never do any kind of web surfing. uh, Never do any kind of general web activity like going to an e-commerce site. If you coordinate off where that Chromebook is being used just for financial activity in your life, bank, brokerage, credit union, uh, mutual fund account, retirement account, you mentioned checking with Social Security. Uh, that one would be one maybe I'd do on your regular computer 
and not on your Chromebook. But otherwise, I think that that's great segregating all those financial things. All right, Kurt wants to know, since couples routinely file for loans jointly, is there a discount for couples to freeze or thaw credit, or do we each have to do it independently? Great question. The better question is, why do we have to pay to thaw or freeze our credit anyway? And I hope one of the things that comes out of the Equifax aftermath, the Equifax fiasco, is that laws are passed at the national level or by states that eliminate all fees for freezing and thawing your credit. And unfortunately, there is no deal for couples where you get a cheaper thaw rate than individuals do. So it's just money coming straight out of your pocket for somebody else's carelessness. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website, ClarkDeals.com, where our deal diggers are working to save you money each and every day. Speaking of saving money each and every day, it looks like 2018 is going to be the cheapest year for you to buy groceries versus your income in the history of any such stats ever being kept. And there are two factors working heavily for you. One, not just here in the United States, but around the world, the price of agricultural products has been going down, down, down. Now what you pay in the supermarket is very different than what the farmer receives for the, the agricultural products, produce, whatever, that he or she is producing. But the reality is there is, a, there is an indirect relationship and the cost of the raw food produced, raw food, whatever you call it, <laughs> what's being made in the real food factories, the farms across America and around the world. And by the way, as any U.S.-based farmer can tell you, the market they compete in is a worldwide market. And the production of food has become so much more efficient on the farm that the cost of the food before it gets processed or whatever gets to you if you're buying uh, out-of-the-ground kind of stuff like produce before it gets to you is at fantastic prices for you, pretty miserable prices for most crops, truth be told, for the farmer. Then you throw into this mix that the supermarket business is the absolute most competitive by far it has ever been in the U.S., and the pressure is heating up. Mid-sized supermarket chains are under threat of even being able to survive this era of competition. The Kroger Company, which is the nation's second largest supermarket chain after Walmart, has made some moves that have been very good for them and also good for you with lower prices on a lot of things you might buy. 
And they all face the threat from the Germans, from Aldi, which has been in the United States for two generations, but only really become part of public consciousness in much of America in the last 10 years. And then Lidl, L-I-D-L, which is going to be a massive operator in the United States. First, they got to learn our market as they're doing so from Virginia through the Carolinas. And then Lidl will invade across the country. The result of all this competition is that the price of groceries is the second benefit for you after the cost of the actual produced goods on the farm being so much more favorable. So be aware that what the supermarkets are going to try to get you to do is buy heavily value added from them. The end phrase and the lingo of the trade right now is trying to create a grocerant inside the stores where they take the food they have, they do some prep to it, and the price suddenly is much higher. In the simplest form, think of when a supermarket takes fruit and they cut it up for you and they sell it in one of those clear plastic containers and the cost of the fruit effectively is maybe five times or more what it would be if you were the one who cut up the fruit instead of having it already in a ready-to-eat container. But the good news is that this is your time to not have to struggle to stretch your grocery dollar because the marketplace is already doing it for you. Jeff joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Clark. Thank you for having me on. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you, Jeff. You want to follow up with me about an article you read on Clark.com, I guess, about, was it health insurance you were reading about, or what were you reading about specifically? Yes, sir. Health insurance. Um, so kind of the, the backstory on it all is uh, we've my family has health insurance through an employer, uh, through my wife. We're going to be, she's going to be leaving her job soon. And we were, you know, shopping around for some health insurance because that's, you know, one of the concerns we've got going on. We kind of use your site as a go-to all the time and um, for advice. So we, we came across the article, did some research on it, went to a, a recommended site that, that you provided, was contacted by many, many brokers. This was a couple days ago. Um, still getting phone calls. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not sure if this is the, I don't know what's right. Because the first couple people that called that I spoke with um, said that they couldn't provide me a quote. They could give me a quote over the phone. Um, and if I wanted anything in writing for me and my wife to review, they needed a credit card. Okay. Gosh, I got a lot to say here. One, that was a fail on my part on our website. We should not have had a link in an article that took you to what's actually a lead generation tool. And that was, uh, that was a mistake of the writer on our website. So I will make sure that that's removed because what you described to me is the link then sold your name and contact information 
two salespeople trying to sell you a temporary health insurance policy. Right. That's kind of the the gist that, that I've gathered is because yeah. I mean I couldn't even I couldn't even pick up the phone fast enough. As soon as I hit submit, the phone was ringing, and I mean because well, because all those people are racing to be the one that gets the commission for writing right. you a temporary health policy. Now temporary health policies are highly restricted under the law, but it looks like with the way the wind's blowing in Washington. They're going to become a common feature and not necessarily so temporary. This is very different coverage that even if you did give these people your credit card number, which I don't know why you would, and they then popped a quote to you, it would be much cheaper than what you'd find on healthcare.gov, which is where you buy the what are known as compliant health plans that cover a lot of different conditions and have all the rules and procedures and also would cost you a lot of money for your family. Okay. These policies are like a bridge with minimal coverages and tight limitations that are not real health insurance. Okay. So do you feel that it's going to be a long-term play that neither of you are going to have access to traditional employer-provided health coverage? I don't believe so. Um, I really don't. Um, but, I, but again, I don't really know. So you if know it's I mean? going to be a shorter-term thing, uh, you have a period of time that I think is six weeks where your right. wife will be able to elect to continue COBRA coverage. Right, and that's something we talked about as well. So I like that because that gives you some time to play with that if either of you get a job with health care included as a benefit, you haven't lost anything waiting that six-week period to exercise your COBRA rights. Okay. Now, the COBRA rights will be very expensive. The way they're charged is it's the normal cost for health coverage plus 2%. Not what your wife's maybe been paying, but the employer's actual real raw cost, which is much higher Mm -hmm. than what a worker pays, you pay that plus 2% for them processing the paperwork. So that could be a back-breaking premium. Got it. Do you have anyone in the family who has a serious medical condition or pre-existing one? No, not at all. Okay. Fortunately, I mean, we're we're all in great health. knock on wood all right so let's say the clock runs and you're out of time to exercise cobra rights and you don't want the family without any coverage at all and you can't afford the cobra then you would look at these temporary policies and it is a bit of a wild west out there buying them and so you will find an aggressive kind of thing but what you want from anyone is you want first to see what the plan is what it covers and what it's going to cost and someone who won't give you that information till you give them a credit card number you're done with them yeah exactly and and i don't want to burn up your time i know you've, you've got time constraints but but it's kind of funny because I've, I've really been in detail with about three of the brokers the first one one of the credit card 
and they couldn't really tell me why they didn't have information that they couldn't give me. You know, they they were just like, well, we can't until we receive your credit card and blah, 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 and sign you up, and if you want to cancel, then you can cancel. Oh, I hate next, that. Yeah, and then, so I, I told them I wasn't interested. The next one um, gave me everything. Um, he, I mean, he was straightforward. He sent everything to me. Um, he, I asked him for three quotes. He gave me three comparable quotes. They are short term, but they're, um, you know, they're, they're major insurance companies that, you know, that are very household names in the health market, I would say. And what did the um, third one do? The third one told me that that was illegal. Um, say what? Which, so, yeah. So it was really weird because everybody's giving me different. Well, one place you can turn many times mm -hmm. is to whoever, if you uh, have an insurer for auto and homeowners, mm -hmm. many times they may write these short-term medicals or they will have someone they refer you to for short-term medical. And it should never be a thing where it's kept a secret from you what quote you're going to have till after they've issued a policy to you. Who wants to do that? It's crazy. Kim is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Kim. Hello, Clark. Hey, Kim. You are one of the TIAA customers that's calling me. Yeah. What do you do now? I'm I'm a little concerned. I I based on your advice from your website, I um trying to trying to reduce our taxable income last year. Um, we invested the fifty five hundred in TIAA, and then I read your article about um, no longer recommending What did they, well, well, it's just like they got a big question mark on them right now because there were some dishonest practices that have now been exposed, and there's uh, civil, and I don't know if it's a criminal investigation as well, but at least a civil investigation going on of, of TIA by, uh, by state authorities in New York. So are you in... TIA mutual funds, or are you in some form of TIA annuity? An annuity. And that annuity you're in, is that inside a retirement account itself, or is it just an annuity? Um, just, it's a Dutch, well, it's a traditional IRA is what I, we did. Um, an annuity inside an IRA. I don't yeah. like that. Okay. Um, tell me, do you know what kind of expenses you're being charged on well, that I annuity? I it out because I was curious um i don't i don't see it doesn't seem to i printed out the statement and i don't see anything where there's any charges um oh they're charging you don't okay. worry <laughs> okay um is this some form of variable annuity or what kind of annuity is it oh my gosh i i'm obviously not um smart enough to answer that question. all right let me tell you what i'd like you to do you've got some meaningful money tied up in this mm-hmm I would like, as an experiment, I want you, if you don't mind, I'd like you to send me what TIA has provided you, and let me see how hard it is to actually figure out what they're charging you. Hang on a second. We're going to give you the information so you can send that on to me. Okay, great. Hang on, please. Okay. Randy is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Randy. Hey, how are you doing, Clark? Great, thank you, Randy. You got a Bitcoin question for me. I do. I, I wanted to find out your current opinion on uh, Bitcoin. Well, Bitcoin is like gambling. It's like going to Vegas, except you don't get to take in any shows and you don't get to see the lights. 
Right. So Bitcoin is 100% a speculative activity because okay. it's not real money in a traditional sense. You can right. convert it into real money um, from time to time, but it's never become a true payment device. It's never become a routinely accepted way that people buy and sell things. So for that reason, it's not what I would consider to be real money. And, you know, it's been going all over the place in value. I don't know if you've seen the price swings. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, from uh, one day it could go up or down $100 as much. Or a couple of thousand dollars. Right. And so it just gyrates all around. And we are in the midst of, with Bitcoin, an absolute classic speculative bubble. So if you did decide to put money in it, you've got to think of it as money that could go to not necessarily zero, but that you could lose a substantial amount of it. It also is possible, and nobody can predict when the Bitcoin bubble breaks, it could go to many, many, many thousands of dollars more in value per Bitcoin than it is right now. Right. Because it is just a speculative thing. So it's got to be sleep at night money that you get involved with it. Money that if you never, ever see it again, you're fine. I have a friend who who loves gambling on football right? and does all these crazy bets and uses all this terminology I don't understand at all (laughs) Right, and loves that whole thing. Are you that kind of person? Uh, Not so much, no. So if... You put in, like, what kind of money are you thinking you might put in Bitcoin? Uh, roughly $2,000. So if you lost that $2,000, how'd you feel? Yeah, that would, that would keep me up at night. Okay, so then that's not your thing. Right, okay. And I know that Bitcoin is one of the most popular things people want to talk about with me because right. it has been this incredible story going from being worth basically nothing to this enormous value. But that doesn't change that it is a very, very high-risk activity, and eventually, I believe it will deflate badly. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I appreciate you spending part of your day with us here on The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that if you need consumer advice, we're here to serve you off-air for free, nine hours a day. If you go to Clark.com and go down the home screen, you'll see a section, Consumer Help and Tools. Click on Consumer Action Center, and you can get that free off-the-air advice.